Today is an exciting day, too. It's not just because we're, we're launching our capital campaign today. It's an exciting day because this is a special day in history as well. I don't know how many of you know that. Today is a special day in history because 504 years ago today, and on October the 31st, 1517, a man named Martin Luther went to a, 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 a cathedral there in Wittenberg, Germany, and he took a hammer and he took a nail and he took a piece of paper upon which there were 95 really revolutionary um, uh, opinions. We call them 95 official theses that he used, and he nailed those, those things to, the, to the, the door of the church there. Now, we might think that was a little rude of him to do that, we don't do things like that today, but it was actually in nailing that was where the public square was, and, and people would go there to read. And so he nailed those, those opinions pieces, those, those 95 theses, to uh, the wall, to, excuse me, to the door there of that Catholic church. And, 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 and in these theses, he addressed many of the corrupt practices and many of the excessive practices of the Catholic church. Here's the thing. It has been said that when Martin Luther pounded that nail into the church door, that the whole earth shook because it set in motion all of the events that ultimately led to the Protestant Reformation, which would ultimately revolutionize Western civilization. All that happened 504 years ago today. And here's the tenets of the Protestant Reformation of which we as a Baptist church are a part. And it can be summed up this way. On the authority of the Scriptures alone, our salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of no one else but God alone. And I want you to know that's important that we remember that because that is at the essence of what the gospel message that we preach. You've heard us be excited this morning about preaching the gospel message. That's because it is the power of God unto salvation to those who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, as Paul would say. It is the power of God, the presentation, the clear proclamation of the gospel is what we as a people are to be about. It is why we exist. I've asked this question before. Why, when we are come to faith in Christ, when God saves us miraculously from our sins, lifts us out of our sinfulness, and, and gives us a, a wonderful hope of a future, why didn't God just take us on home to glory right there? Why didn't He just translate us, as the old Scripture would say, translate us right into His very presence? What is His purpose for leaving His church here in this world, it is nothing less than for us to continue to proclaim the good news of the gospel message, that Jesus Christ still saves, that he is the only one who can save, and that it comes by nothing but faith in him to the glory of God. That is why we exist. That is the purpose of Ivy Creek Baptist Church, is to continue to proclaim the gospel. And I want you to know that everything you've heard discussed this morning, with regard to buildings and bricks and concrete and and, and sheetrock and electrical panels and all the things that will wind up going in that we have to eventually, over the next year, set, move ourselves around certain roadblocks. We can't go into that door anymore because we've got barricades up. It's going to disrupt our lives. Be grateful for the disruption. Be grateful for the disruption because it means that there is growth taking place, not so that we can stand up and boast and throw our chest out and say, look what we've done. No, it is only because we want to point people to Jesus and we want to point them to what God has done. And this is the tool that's going to be put in our hands by God's grace to allow us to continue to propel that gospel and preach it to all nations and to our neighbors. Now, 
It's important for us to remember all that today. I've gotten that out of my system, and you've gotten it into yours now, I hope. This morning, what I want us to do, and I believe this is providential, is God brings us to the end of our study in the book of Philippians as we come to the last section that's there. If you've got your Bibles, and I hope that you do, go ahead and take them out and turn with me there because we're going to discuss the issue of gospel partnership this morning. Gospel partnership. We've been on a journey through this letter, through the book of Philippians. And all along the way, we've been asking ourselves this same question. Who are we? Who are we here at Ivy Creek? Who are we supposed to be here at Ivy Creek? And all along the way, we have continued to return to that same identity statement that we've been repeating back and forth to one another for over over seven years. Say it with me if you know it. We here at Ivy Creek are a you-all, gospel-first, servant-hearted family of believers who want our lives to count for the glory of God. That's who we are. That's who we continue to strive to be here at Ivy Creek. And that brings us to this final passage in Paul's letter, a passage in which we see him return to the same subject that he began. He began with the whole subject of of gospel partnership as his main emphasis here in this letter, and he kind of ends with it, returning back to that same theme of gospel partnership. And I'm going to do this week what I did last week. I'm going to give you my sermon in a sentence up front because I believe it'll help us be able to keep our understanding of what Paul writes as he comes through there. So my sermon in a sentence today is simply this. When gospel partnership becomes our top priority, we will invest today's resources in eternity through compassionate, consistent, and sacrificial giving that trusts God to meet all of our present needs. I think we'll see that in our text today as we begin reading. Notice as we pick up there in verse 14, we'll read to the end of the letter. Paul writes this. He's speaking to this Philippian believers and he says, Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now, to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of, the C- of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for this wonderful day, this celebratory day, this day of remembrance, and this day of of, of vision, and this day of conclusions. All of those things have been going through my mind this week, Lord, and most importantly, just amazement of how good you've been, how good you've been to Ivy Creek all of these years. Just as we've had a snapshot of that this morning, how you've blessed this body of believers for for over a century, and how you continue to leave your mark, 
right here in this community through the ministry of this church. Thank you for the blessing and the opportunity to be a part of that. We pray for its continued success, not so that people will just notice Ivy Creek and and bless her name, but so that they would bless the name of her Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So I pray that we would continue to be found faithful in that which you have given us to do, that we would be found faithful in continuing to preach and proclaim the gospel, that there would continue to be those who come forward professing their faith in Jesus Christ as a result of the ministry of this church. Father, I pray for the fruit that abounds for the labor in which we engage. And I pray that you would bless our efforts Again, not so that we might receive glory, but that you might receive glory, for you alone are the one that's worthy of it. In Christ's holy name I pray. Amen. Now, I mentioned to you last week, as we get to the end of the book of Philippians in chapter 4, we notice this, that this, is, this letter is a thank you letter. And as we get to the very end of it, Paul goes back to that issue of expressing his thankfulness and his appreciation to the Philippian church for their kindness to him. And as you remember, Epaphroditus was the man that they had commissioned to take a love offering from the church there in Philippi to Paul as he sat there under house arrest in Rome. And, and, and that, that gift that they sent Paul had been a, a wonderful blessing to him. And Paul wanted the Philippian church to know how grateful he was for it. And that's why he begins in verse 14 by saying, nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. And by using such language, Paul is not only affirms this church in their generosity, but he also draws attention to the partnership that they had with one another, that they shared in. In fact, he even goes on to reinforce that issue of gospel partnership in the next verse, in verse 15, because he says this, Now you Philippians know also that at the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. They held a special place. The Philippian church held a special place in Paul's heart. And, 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 and in both of these verses, notice in verse 14 and 15, Paul uses a word there that comes from the, the Greek word koinonia, which is a word that means to share. It means to, to fellowship. It means to partner with one another. Another way for us to understand what Paul is saying here is that this Philippian church had cooperated with him cooperated with him in in their sympathy for him. They had cooperated with him in their suffering alongside of him. They had cooperated with him in their active labor, in the communication and the sharing of the gospel. But they had also, as these last verses tell us, had cooperated with him through their monetary support of him. Through all these ways, the Philippian church had been partners with Paul in the gospel, from the very beginning, he says. And they shared in everything that that partnership produced. This information tells us something significant about this Philippian church. Throughout this entire letter, many have held up the fact that the Philippian church really serves as a model. It's a model church for modern churches today to pattern much of their ministry and their lives around. And that model comes forward for us and we recognize that, that they were a family of believers who were committed to partnering in the gospel ministry with Paul. And as such, they were big-hearted and they were open-handed. In fact, that's the first point that I want you to note this morning. As they stand as our model 
Today, we recognize that gospel partnership demands from us big-hearted and open-handed generosity. Gospel partnership demands big-hearted and open-handed generosity. Notice that Paul talks about the church sharing in his personal distress. And Paul doesn't specifically identify what his distress was here. In fact, the word that's used could, could indicate any kind of stressful situation that one found themselves in. But in light of where Paul is, because he's in prison, he's chained to a Roman soldier, and he's, he's, he's there incarcerated waiting on trial, I believe it's appropriate to recognize that Paul's distress is centered around that imprisonment and, and his subsequent sufferings that resulted from his commitment to the ministry of the gospel. And through their partnership, the, the Philippian church had made Paul's imprisonment a common cause of their own. They had sent aid to him, as we have already noted, through Epaphroditus. And in doing so, they expressed their, their big-hearted and their deep-seated concern for Paul and his well-being. And then notice in verse 15 that it wasn't just compassion that the Philippians had, but rather it was compassion that was expressed through generosity. Paul states that no other church had, had entered into such a partnership with him in giving and receiving. In other words, Paul is acknowledging that their compassion and their sympathy for him was made tangible through their monetary gifts to him that had financially supported and, and helped him with being able to continue to proclaim the gospel. Brothers and sisters, what we cannot sidestep is this issue and we've noted it many times in our study of the Scriptures over the years, but it bears repeating once more in light of the context of what Paul writes, and that is how compassionately generous you are is a prime indicator of your spiritual health. Jesus says it this way in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. He says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, the compass needle of our heart follows what we treasure. One writer put it this way, what we do with our resources is a window into our souls. The question just simply is, what does God see when he looks inside? That's a question that we all must ask ourselves. We must grapple with whether we are compassionately generous with those who are ministering and perhaps Suffering for the sake of the gospel? Does the gospel message mean that much to us that we are willing to enter into their ministry by sacrificing that which we have to assist them? We should desire to have the, the Lord say to us the same thing that Paul said to the church in Philippi. He says, nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. But Paul's focus on the Philippian church's big-hearted and open-handed generosity, it doesn't end there. Notice that in verse 16, he acknowledges that the Philippian churches, they had a track record for helping. Paul says, for even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again from my necessities. In other words, the gift that they had just sent by Epaphroditus was not the first time. It was not the only time. It wasn't, I would dare say, the last time that they helped Paul with, with the ministry of the gospel. You, we even read about it again in Acts chapter 18 and in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 that it was a reliable, that they had been a reliable and dependable source 
of gifts that had allowed Paul to continue ministry. And what that tells us is that Paul's ministry to other churches in other areas, in Thessalonica and in Corinth, for example, they were funded by the church there in Philippi. And what we cannot miss is that these Philippian believers were consistent in their big-hearted and open-handed generosity. It wasn't just a flash in a pan. Their partnership with, with Paul and the gospel was not here today and gone tomorrow. No, it was, the, it was a consistent. It was, it, we might even say it was persistent. And the reason that I say it was persistent is because it persevered during even lean times. It was sacrificial giving. In fact, Paul writes to the, the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and he tells them about these Philippian believers. So here we're able, in, in, in the Corinthian letter, we're able to, to hear what Paul says about these Philippian believers to other churches. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he, said, he looks at them, he, he writes to them, he says, look, in their extreme poverty, their financial support to the gospel ministry was outstanding for its consistency and for its generosity. So when we begin to put the whole picture together of what he writes here in Philippians, what he writes in 2 Corinthians, what we read that Luke writes about in, in Acts chapter 18, when we put all of those pieces together into a composite that we can get our hands around, what we recognize is that the Philippian church was not only compassionate, it was not only consistent in its generosity, but it was also sacrificial in its generosity and its giving. Now notice what Paul says next in verse 17. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Even with all this focus on giving and on their generosity, Paul didn't want the Philippians to get the idea that all he was interested in was their money. Rather, he wanted them to know that he was actually seeking their best interest. That didn't mean that their financial contributions were unimportant to him. I, I would suggest to you that on the contrary, had the Philippian church not been compassionate and consistent and sacrificial in their giving, that Paul's ministry would have suffered great harm. But nevertheless, Paul wants them to recognize that their giving to the Lord's work was actually equivalent for them to being put money into the bank of heaven that would pay a guaranteed high interest on all of their deposits. That's why he says, I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. This was not an idea that originated with Paul, though, lest we think that this was just Paul doing a money grab of some sort and, and trying to make some sort of... No, no, no. Jesus is the one who began this conversation back in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, when he says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. One author has put it this way. He says, the only money that we will see again is that which we give away. And that money will return with com compounded interest. That was Paul's encouragement to the Philippian believers there that their investment in the gospel ministry would ultimately produce fruit that would abound to their account. And then in verse 18, Paul adds even more encouraging words to them. He tells them that because of their generosity, every need he had had been met. So their goal of meeting his needs so that he could continue to proclaim the gospel, he says, look, you've succeeded. Every need that I have has been met. 
But then he, he, he immediately lets them know that their sacrificial support of him was actually an offering to God. Paul describes it as a sweet-smelling, fragrant offering that was acceptable and pleasing to God. In other words, it was compassionate, it was consistent, and it was also sacrificial. What they gave was, was in reality an act of worship, and it was an act of giving glory to God. As my dad always told me growing up, God keeps accurate records. Now, most of the time, he was using that for a different reason with me. <laughs> Nevertheless, God does keep accurate records. That leads me to the next thing that we ought to notice from this text. The second point on your outline is just simply this. Gospel partnership recognizes the eternal value of present generosity. Gospel partnership recognizes the eternal value of present generosity. In his commentary on this passage, Dennis Johnson states this. Based upon what Paul writes, the Philippians could rest assured that their contribution had not really diminished their resources. Rather, they had put those resources on deposit with the creator of all things. And their investment was secure and it would bring a return beyond their imaginations. Sure, Paul would end up using the funds to buy groceries and pay the rent, but in the Lord's treasury, the Philippians' gift was an investment that continued to accrue interest. Brothers and sisters, that is the same view of money and resources that you and I should have as believers. Our present generosity toward missions that seeks to advance the gospel among the nations. The reason why this church gives what it does to the cooperative program of the Southern Baptist Convention is because we have a strong desire to see the nations impacted by the same gospel message that we preach right here. That is why money goes to support international missionaries. It's why money goes to support North American missionaries. It is why money goes to help support those struggling seminarians who are there in the, the, the colleges and the seminaries across this land in which it's training missionaries and pastors to go out and to proclaim the gospel. It is important to us that we partner with other churches of like mind to do that because it is absolutely necessary that we remain generous in seeing the gospel message Go forth. And we recognize that all of that has eternal value, not just present value. And what that means is that if we embrace a big-hearted and an open-handed approach to gospel partnership, we can trust God to take care of us. Not only in the future, but we can trust Him to take care of us today. In fact, notice the next thing that Paul says in verse 19. He says, And my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Chuck Swindoll summarizes this verse this way. He says, When God is in our hearts of compassion, prompting us to get involved in helping others, when He is in our acts of generosity, honoring our support of those engaged in ministry, and when He is in our strong commitment, using our sacrifices to bless other lives, He does not forget us in our needs. That old trite and true statement is still just as valid today. You cannot outgive God. That leads me to the third and final point that I want you to notice this morning, and that is that gospel partnership trusts in God's generosity. Gospel partnership trusts in God's generosity. God is a generous, loving God who abounds in tender mercies and loving kindness, and he promises the faithful 
that he will supply all of their needs. Nevertheless, let me remind you, based upon what we studied and learned last week, there is a great difference between our wants and our needs. That verse that we just read there does not say, does not promise you that God will provide you everything that you want, but that you will have everything that you need. This verse is not suggesting that if you sow a seed in this ministry or in that ministry, that God will bring a financial windfall into your life and that you will be driving a a new car and living in a new house in no time at all. No, I want you to know unequivocally that those who preach that health and wealth message do nothing but pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ which is revealed to us in the 66 books that is contained into our scriptures. They prey upon people through their manipulative methods. Listen, when Paul says that God will supply all of your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus, material abundance is not the focus. In fact, if your only way of measuring God's generosity to us is by how much money or affluence we have, then brothers and sisters, we have a far too narrow view of God's blessings. As one writer has put it, no amount of money can fill up your every need for what you need is a heart set free from the illusion that a safe haven can be constructed out of a fragile and fickle materials listed on a balance sheet. The promise God gives us is that all his lavish wealth will be made available to us through Christ Jesus. And for the Christian, every need we will ever have has been met in Christ. He is our beginning and he is our end. And all things come to us through him. Such a thought causes Paul to burst forth in doxology. There in verse 20, he says, Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then he concludes by sending a final farewell to the Uall family there in Philippi from the Uall family there in Rome. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. I told you he was Southern. Be with y'all. And all that brings us back to where we started. When gospel partnership becomes our top priority, we will invest today's resources in eternity through compassionate, consistent, sacrificial giving that trusts God to meet all our present needs. So in light of that, in light of what we've learned today, and honestly in light of the teaching of this entire letter that we've been working our way through now for the better part of three or four months, the question is, is gospel partnership a top priority for you? Do you have a passion within you to see the kingdom of God advanced? and to see lives impacted by the gospel, to see the name of Jesus exalted and magnified among the nations and among your neighbors? Are you compassionately and consistently and sacrificially giving toward the advancement of the gospel? And I want you to know that application extends even further than that, or maybe I should say it extends deeper than that. As we've read and studied this letter, 
You must ask yourself whether or not the good news is truly broken into your life in such a way that you're not the same anymore. Has the message of of Christ's self-humbling, sacrificial death and resurrection caused you to break with your life of the past and embrace your new life as a citizen of heaven? You see, this passage makes it absolutely clear that God is concerned about, not only concerned with how you manage your resources and how generous you are with them, but he wants to know, is your life transformed? Have, Have you given yourself to him? The good news begins with with you giving your heart and life to Christ. With you acknowledging your need of His salvation and with you confessing your sin and trusting in Jesus to, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Have you done that? Have you placed your faith in Christ? And listen, if you have, then are you sharing that gospel? Are you sharing in the gospel ministry? Are you serving others while at the same time serving Christ? Are you investing your present? And by that I mean, yes, your money, of course. It's the easy, that's the low-hanging fruit. But here's the issue. Are you investing everything of who you are into the gospel ministry? Your talent, your ability, your skills. Yes, your money. Yes, your resources. But your time. Are you investing those things in your future, in the future reality of heaven? Brothers and sisters, by God's grace, He has called us a wide range of people from different backgrounds and different cultures and different ages. He has called us together into this you-all family. And because of the good news, then we must make the gospel first and foremost in our lives. Individually and corporately as a church, we are a gospel-first family. And as such, we must emulate the life of Christ who put others ahead of himself. He came to this earth as a servant. Brothers and sisters, we too must be servant-hearted just like he was. So let me ask you, is your life counting for the glory of God? Are you living obediently to his word? Are you serving him faithfully by serving others? Are you investing in eternity by giving compassionately and consistently and sacrificially? Today, brothers and sisters, as children of God who have been saved by the atoning work of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross, and we have been assembled together as a body of believers here in this place, this is the calling that God has placed upon us. May we be found faithful in fulfilling that calling. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God, and it is for the people. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for calling us to this place and by your divine providence, having brought us into this locale, seated beside brothers and sisters, many of whom we would maybe never have come across otherwise. And yet you have brought us here and blessed us beyond our imaginations with friends and with with family and with opportunities. Lord, you have placed a bright future in front of us. But Father, the future that's in front of us as we look to break ground and put brick and mortar on this property pales. In fact, it's not even worthy of mention in light of the future that you have in store for us when one day we're in your presence. 
The fact of the matter is you've left us here in this world so that we might utilize everything that you have blessed us with so that we can declare that good news to those who do not know it and have not heard it, those who remain unconvinced of it. You seek to make your fame known in their lives as well. So God, give us a heart of compassion, a heart of generosity, a heart of sacrifice, a heart of consistency as we seek to share what we have so that others can come to know you and share in that same eternal future that you have blessed us with. Father, this is my prayer for Ivy Creek. It is the prayer that I have for my own life and my own family. And I ask you to hear it and to glorify yourself through it in Christ's name. Amen.